0: Hello and welcome to COS Live. You can watch the original video broadcast live on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern on either the Convention of States Facebook page or the Convention of States Project YouTube channel. Visit conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's COS Live. Well, hello, Convention of States supporters, and welcome back to another episode of COS Live. My name is Andrew Woodruff. I'll be your host for this episode. And of course, I am joined by the lovely Rita Peters, who is the Senior Vice President of Legislative Affairs. How are you, Rita?
1: I'm doing great. And Andrew, I know that I'm not supposed to have favorites in terms of guests, but I'll tell you the truth. Our guest today is a particular favorite of
0: mine. (laughs) I I knew that uh, he's one of your favorites. I could just tell by the uh, the cordial communication between you two before we started. Um, We have, of course, the intellectual firepower behind the Article 5 movement. uh, And he's going to be speaking about a new summer speaker series that we have been putting on at Convention of States. Of course, we are going to be talking to uh, Professor Robert Nadelson, who is uh, the preeminent scholar when it comes to Article 5. We have some important announcements that you don't want to miss as well. But before we get to those things, we have, of course, our Article 5 Trivia Giveaway with COS Vice President, Mike Ruthenberg. Mike, take it
2: away. Thank you, Andrew. It's great to be here. It's great to be back at it after a day of, or a couple of days of celebrating our nation's birth. What a great time it is to be alive, a great time to be here in America and an even better time to pay attention to what's going on so we can make sure that this nation lives on for not only us, but our kids and our grandkids as well. And my name is Mike Ruthenberg. I'm here to bring you our Article 5 trivia of the day. And one of the things that we like to do is give away stuff. And one of the things we're going to do is I'm wearing a think outside the swamp T-shirt, but I'm also wearing a brand new COS camo hat. It says Convention Estates where it is right there on the side. And you'll get one of these hats. It's made out of a really cool wicking fabric. So you'll be able to wear it on a hot day and stay nice and cool. And if you don't win this hat, of course, you can go to shop and you can pick up your own hat or shirt or anything that you want to talk about Convention of States during the summertime. So here's our question for the day, and it's a, it's somewhat tied to our independence. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you knew, but the principle of Article 5 came right from the Declaration of Independence. And here's your question. It's from the Declaration of Independence. I don't know if you read it on Independence Day or if that's something that is a family tradition. It's something that I would recommend being a family tradition, because understanding why we declared our independence is an important aspect to understanding why we're fighting for our nation just the way it is. So here's the question, fill in the blank. The Declaration says that whenever government fails to secure the rights of the people, it is the right of the people to... and fill in the blank, and I'll be back a little bit later to fill in that blank and explain why it is such, and it may seem a little bit strange Once you find out the answer, if you don't already know, start typing that right into the chat, and hopefully you're the very first one and you'll win a hat. Otherwise, go to the store, shopconventionestates.com, and get a hat that way, and I'll see you in just a little bit. Back to you, Andrew. Well, we are pleased to welcome to the program Professor
0: Robert Nadelson, who is the preeminent scholar on Article 5 of the Constitution and he is the author of the law of Article 5 which is the definitive primer on the uh, on the Article 5 convention process and he also wrote the book The Original Constitution he's written numerous scholarly articles he is also a regular contributor with the Epic Times his work has been cited by the Supreme Court by the Supreme Court on 12 separate occasions he, is, he has been a constitutional law professor, a candidate for governor in the state of Montana. He has been a senior fellow for three separate, uh, three separate think tanks and of course, at the head of Article Five Center at the Independence Institute. And he is also a senior advisor with Convention of States Action. Thank you so much for joining us, Professor Nadelson. How are you doing today?
3: Thank you, Andrew. And thank you for that very kind of somewhat inflated introduction.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, but you, you you certainly fit the bill on all the things that I mentioned, sir. Uh, so my first question to you is, Convention of States launched a new uh, we're calling the Summer Speakers, which is exclusively for state legislators. Why do you think it's so important that state legislators join these webinars?
3: Well, this particular series isn't all focused on Article 5. But state legislators have really important functions to perform in our constitutional system. And many of them are totally unaware of them. Um, it's not just Article V that it is among those functions, but they are in charge of establishing the rules for the elections of members of Congress. Uh, and those rules can be overridden to a certain extent by Congress. But in the first instance, it's the responsibility of the state legislature, they have absolute power as far as determining the rules for presidential elections in their states. Um, They obviously have uh, authority in the amendment process, both in their ability to bring about an amendments convention, control the commissioners of the convention once the convention has been established, and then in the ratification process, generally they have a role as well Either they ratify the amendments themselves or they set up the conventions that do. Um, They uh, establish the procedures by which governors call vacancy elections, and I could go on. These are really important functions that the state legislatures have. Their power comes directly from the Constitution, the US Constitution, not their state constitutions. And then in addition to that, they play a critical role in the federal state balance, uh, James Madison emphasized again and again the importance and the ability of state legislators to, in his words, interpose uh, to protect the people when the federal government became abusive or exceeded its power. So these are, uh, these are responsibilities that state legislatures have and of which I think they're unaware uh, to a large extent. And so I'm hoping that our lecture series will fill the gap, so to speak, and get them interested in those congressional or those constitutional responsibilities again.
1: Well, as you mentioned, Professor Nadelson, this series that Convention of States is doing for state legislators isn't exclusively about Article Five. It's actually about federalism more broadly and you were our very first speaker for this series a couple of weeks ago. Can you tell our viewers what you talked about specifically, your topic, and what was the main point that you wanted to impress upon these legislators, and how do you think it was received?
3: Well, federalism is a division between the, of powers between the federal government and the states, and it includes everything I just said, all those special responsibilities that the states have, and one I didn't mention, which is in some ways their biggest responsibility, which is legislating for their own states. So I gave them kind of a primer or introduction to federalism. I talked about why uh, the founders established federalism, some of the historical context that generally is overlooked. I mean, not very many people know, for example, that the British Empire, before we declared independence, was really a federal state, de facto, and that the uh, colonists were fighting for the restoration of that kind of local control that they had enjoyed in the British Empire. Uh, I spoke about the other reasons for federalism and then how the state federal balance is supposed to work.
0: Um, Professor Nadelson, in regards to our Article Five resolution um, with Convention of States, um, what do you think is the biggest barrier for people or for legislators when it comes to supporting um, our resolution and really supporting the Article Five process, kind of in in its in its full capacity? Because I've seen some. Um, some legislative hearings, and you, you, I've seen like two different types of people, people who are strongly in support for an article five convention and our resolution, but then there are people who are just diametrically opposed to it. So what is the greatest barrier uh, for those legislators who do not support our resolution?
3: Well, I think the greatest barrier is as far as many state legislators are involved, they'd rather, in, as far as many state legislators are concerned, they'd rather not get involved. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got their state issues, they ran on their state issues, Very few of them ran on federal issues. Uh, And as I mentioned, they're unaware in many cases of their federal responsibilities as are also their constituents. I mean, when their constituents elect uh, representatives to their state legislatures, they don't normally think about the federal state balance. And so I would say that's the biggest single um, obstacle uh, some of the other things that they glom upon as reasons not to support Convention of States are uh, are really excuses for that. But there are some other real causes as well. I mean, I, I think that many states are concerned about the fact that uh, their budgets are very heavily dependent upon federal money. It was certainly a major concern and a major reason why Wyoming, did not endorse an article five convention uh, just a few years ago. They they got a lot of federal money for roads and for other things and they were concerned that they might lose that. So that's a factor. Um, another factor is ignorance about the process, which I've already discussed. And then of course, another factor is the well-coordinated dis- disinformation campaign mm-hmm. that originated in the 1960s and 1970s about how, awful a convention would be and the, um, uh, the kind of hapless and clueless people who call themselves conservatives who buy into that disinformation campaign. And that disinformation campaign, I think, is less important in itself than the fact that it sometimes gives state legislatures an excuse for not doing what they really don't want really to do anyway. So that's a fully responsive to your answer because there's more than one obstacle. But I think it gives a a fairly good picture of it. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, you mentioned the disinformation campaign, which is certainly out there. And we in the movement run into legislators all the time who've bought into that. Your research is so valuable for anyone wanting to honestly get their questions answered about Article 5. Your expertise in this area is really unparalleled. But how do you view your research in terms of your role in the broader movement? Is your research for the skeptic? Is it for the champion who really just needs to add some intellectual firepower to the argument here she is making? How do you see that?
3: Well, Rita, first, I want I want to thank you for the compliment to the research. That is high praise indeed coming from a fellow lawyer. Of course, lawyers mostly like to cut each other up, so <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, my research simply started as a research project. I mean, I have done um, research on many parts of the Constitution. If you go to the webpage of the Independence Institute, which is where I'm a senior fellow, independenceinstitute.org, and you'll see uh, the constitution tab and you go, you'll see a tab that says uh, articles and publications by Rob Nadelson, you will see that article five is only a small part of what I've done. Um, I've written on the privileges and immunities clause, several important articles on the commerce clause, necessary and proper clause, um, coinage clause, the power to to, to coin money and on and on and on. The Article 5 was just basically another project. I was interested in finding out what what a convention for proposing amendments was, and I didn't think that the information out there was very helpful. So um, that's where it came about. And I, I, I always hasten to say that unlike so many of the people who testify before legislative committees, you know, I wasn't paid for my conclusions. I got no money at all other than my normal academic salary. Um, it is true that once the, these publications occurred, it kind of morphed into something larger. I mean, I was approached, for example, by Mark Meckler and, and Mike Ferris uh, and other Article 5 activists who were not with the Convention of States movement for help, and I try to be pretty uh, free with that help, even if I don't necessarily agree with the specific agenda that the uh, particular organization is promoting, uh, because I think this is a process for everyone. It's not just just for conservatives or not just for Republicans. It's like the, the right to vote. It's for everyone. And so what I was able to do is akin to spreading accurate information about voting you know how you do it where you go what precinct you're in that sort of thing that's really what the articles that I wrote ultimately became I hasten to say that while I've tried to be fairly generous uh, with my help to uh, other article 5 organizations because I think they're entitled to know the facts my endorsement in my heart is with the cos movement I mean that to me, that really, uh, the COS movement really has the correct formula for making the changes that we need.
0: Uh, Professor Nadelson, you mentioned uh, earlier in the interview about how the summer speaker series um, is geared towards uh, federalism. It's not just tied to, uh, to one specific subject, Article Five, but talking about federalism, talking about the powers that state uh, representatives have. Um, What do you think the constitutional framers envision state uh, legislators? What do you think their their role, they envisioned their role would be? And does that differ from the role that state legislators have today?
3: I'm sorry, Andrew, are you asking about the founders' view of state legislators' entire role or in Article 5?
0: Their entire role. Their entire role and maybe even specifically Article 5 as
3: well. Yeah, they would have viewed it as much larger than today, I think. Um, for one thing, the Constitution is a document of enumerated powers, of listed powers, and necessarily, when you give somebody a power, that means you don't give other things that aren't mentioned. So, when I go to my stockbroker and I say, "You know, sell my one-half share of IBM," I'm giving him authority to do that, but I'm not giving him authority to sell my house. And so the Uh, powers that are granted in the in the in the constitution to the federal government are pretty ample but there's also a lot that was supposed to be reserved to the states that the federal government has assumed and so to the extent that the states are not doing the things that the constitution says they're supposed to be doing then obviously their role is lower also it's very clear in the founding that uh, the founders would have been really surprised that we have not used the Article 5 process through a convention for proposing amendments. If you look at the ratification debates, there were, uh, you know, whether the Constitution was going to be approved or not was a pretty narrow um, question for a while. It was a pretty unsettled question. I mean, there were major states like Virginia and Massachusetts that were filled with anti. Uh, a- anti-constitutional sentiment. And so there were certain issues that the federalists or advocates of the Constitution advanced to try to reassure people that if there were problems with the Constitution, they could be cured or dealt with. I mean, an obvious one that everybody knows about almost who studies this era is the Bill of Rights. I mean, th- there was a promise to give Um, uh, to to give a Bill of Rights to the American people if the Constitution was ratified. But almost as important was the reassurance over and over again that if the federal government proves to be abusive or exceeds its power, there's this remedy through the states of um, calling a convention and proposing amendments to rein the federal government in. I think, as I mentioned, the founders would have been astonished or that this has not been used.
1: I think so too, for sure. Professor Nadelson, as you indicated earlier, your constitutional expertise goes far beyond just Article 5 of the Constitution, and I know that you've been somewhat of a darling of the media lately clamoring to interview you to get your take on some of the recent Supreme Court decisions. In your opinion, before we let you go, I just I have to ask this, in your opinion, what is the most important Supreme Court decision that's come out so far this summer?
3: Well, you know, Rita, I, I would think that if I'm a darling of the media, it would be my good looks rather than my constitutional expertise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, I want to answer this at a little bit more length, if I could, Rita. The, the mainstream media have a narrative, everybody here has heard it, and the narrative is that the Constitution has a 6 to 3 conservative majority. Just as last year they were saying that the, that the, excuse me, the Supreme Court has a 6 to 3 conservative majority, just as last year they were saying the Supreme Court has a um, a 5 to 4 conservative majority. And what has happened this year is the same thing that's happened last year. And that is that the, main, uh, the mainstream media is now falling over each other trying to come up with some kind of explanation as to why this conservative supermajority alleged didn't produce more conservative decisions. Uh, We saw this happen last year, we saw it happen this year. Uh, I read, for example, the commentary by CNN, by National Public Radio, by the New York Times and others, and they've all got these stretched explanations for it. Uh, New York Times, for example, explained it by saying, well, the conservative majority is in flux. CNN said, well, well, they're proceeding cautiously, wait till next year. The fact is that the Supreme Court is not producing conservative decisions because the Supreme Court is not conservative. <laughs> that should be rather evident as, as you know, by the, by the fruits of the tree, shall you know them? Um, and nowhere I think is this better exemplified than the decision I'm going to select for you which is the decision on Obamacare. This is a decision whereby the US Supreme Court denied standing to 18 states that were spending billions of dollars a year complying with a statute, which by the court's own pre-announced standards is unconstitutional. And yet the court denied uh, those states standing uh, on, a, on a seven to two vote, thereby rescuing Obamacare from its many defects, including constitutional defects, for the third time. Well this is this is of enormous importance because number one, unlike some of the uh, some of the conservative victories that are being touted, this one is not easily reversed. And it probably indicates that Obamacare, at least for, unless, at least unless we get a, sec, uh, a convention of states, is here to stay. Uh, and that has very grave implications for American health care and for the, uh, ultimately for the American way of life. Very grave implications indeed. In his dissent, Justice Alito made, made the point that. the the Supreme Court has repeatedly stretched the standing doctrine to allow liberal states, promoting liberal causes, opportunities to be heard. So in recent years, for example, the Supreme Court has allowed Massachusetts to be heard on climate change because climate change might cause a rising in sea levels which might result in the loss of part of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and other states on issues like uh, mandatory contraceptive coverage and others. They've really bent the standing doctrine to allow those liberal states their day in court. And yet in the case of 18 states dealing with an obviously unconstitutional law costing them billions of dollars a year the court denies standing. There is no clearer um, no clearer uh, indication of several things. Number one, we don't have a, quote, conservative Supreme Court. We don't have an original Supreme Court. Number three, that 50 years of electing Republican presidents on the promise of getting conservative justices have failed, failed, utterly failed. And number four, really the only way to reverse this problem, it, um, it, at least any, the only constitutional way, is a convention of states to propose amendments to reduce the size and scope of the federal government. Mm-hmm. So I could go on about all the other decisions that this term that give us the same lessons, but you asked for one opinion, Rita, and Obamacare is the one I'm giving you.
1: Well done. <laughs>
0: Yeah, thank you for those scholarly comments on the Supreme Court and that decision. Uh, If you want to read more about Professor Nadelson, of course, course you can uh, buy his books, um, or you can research the Convention of States website, or you can go to article5infocenter.com. Thank you so much for joining us, Professor Nadelson. It was a real pleasure getting to pick your
3: brains. Thank thank you, Andrew, and just to emphasize, the Article 5 Information Center is a tremendous resource I think it's underutilized. Any problems about Article 5 or the amendment process, the Article 5 Information Center website is, is a place to go.
0: All right, we are going to transition to Mike Ruthenberg who has the answer for our Article 5 trivia giveaway question.
2: I am back and I'm excited to give you the answer to our trivia question. If you remember early on, I was talking about how article five really got its inspiration or the principle for article five came from the Declaration of Independence. And the question if you recall was to fill in the blank, the declaration says whenever governments fail to secure the rights of the people, it is the right of the people to, and the answer is, alter or abolish that government. And that's exactly what article five does. And so article five gives us the ability to alter our government as has been done 27 times through amendments to the constitution, such as the bill of rights, abolition of slavery, presidential term limits, of course, it brought us prohibition and the repeal of prohibition. So we do have the ability to make things happen, altering our government. And the relative text reads, and maybe you've already read this since it's so close to Independence Day, but it's always great to hear and be reminded. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its power in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. And that's where Article 5 really comes from, that inspiration. When Article 5 was being crafted, Colonel George Mason said that the convention process would be necessary to avoid bloodshed with an Article 5 convention of states. We aim to secure the rights of the people in the most peaceful way, the best recourse we have at our disposal. And, of course, now is a great time to do it. There's never been a better time. So, thanks so much for listening. I hope you are the winner. And we, oh, one other thing I want to share with you is if you are shopping on Amazon.com, now some of you, maybe not so much because you don't like what's going on over there, but many of you are so many, so that when you go to smile.amazon.com and you choose Convention Estates Foundation as your charity, then we get a small percentage of every purchase. So far, we've had over $17,000 in donations brought to us. And so if you think it's great that Jeff Bezos and amazon.com are gonna pay us to shop there, that's the way you do it. Go to smile.amazon.com, go there, get signed up. And every time you shop, I know I do, I know I. it tells me hundreds of dollars have gone to Convention Estates just from my normal everyday shopping. Back to you, Andrew. Thanks, Mike.
0: All right, Rita. So how was it with Professor Nadelson? Did your favorite uh, deliver?
1: He always does. He never disappoints, Andrew.
0: <laughs> I know. I love hearing his pearls of wisdom. He's just such a scholar, and I can't yep. wait to have him back again. Uh, well, it's time for us to, cl- uh, to sign out. We've had a packed uh, program, but, you know, we got to get back to work. So the bottom line is that America needs a convention of states right now. I mean, if you're tired of the waste that you're seeing from the federal government, government the abuses of power, if you're tired of your tax dollars going to things that you uh, don't approve, then it's time to call the very first Article Five Convention of States. The founders gave us this power in the Constitution. And so we are using the Constitution to save the Constitution by using Article Five. And the process is well underway. We have 15 states so far that have passed the COS resolution. We need to get to 34. As soon as we get to 34 states, we're packing. We're going to put ironclad uh, fiscal restraints on the federal government. And of course, we're going to put the federal government in that constitutional box that it was always intended to be in. But we need your help. We cannot do this alone. We have intellectual heavyweights like Professor Robert Nadelson, but we need we the people on the front lines forwarding this cause. So if you are not part of a team yet, if you have not uh, signed up to be on the front lines for this movement, go to conventionofstates.com. First sign the petition of course, but then get involved with one of your local teams. One of the greatest roles uh, that we have at Convention of States is of course the district captain position. This is the backbone of this movement. We need district captains on the ground who are going to be leaders in their community helping to forward the cause of our Article 5 resolution. Um, Rita, what about social media? Where can they go?
1: Well, I hope they will all follow us on Rumble, MeWe, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Parler, and Instagram. You can also text the word START to 54. Five five five, in order to bypass big tech and make sure you receive important news and messages from COS. And check out the battle cry with COS President Mark Meckler. That is Sunday nights at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. And we'll see you back here next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of COS Live. Remember, y'all, if you're looking for the person who's going to restore the republic, just hold up the mirror.
3: This has been the podcast version of COS Live, originally broadcast on Convention of States Facebook and Convention of States Project YouTube. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod. Thank you for listening.